0: Hello and welcome back to the Unplayable Podcast. My name is Josh finger and fresh off watching one of the most unforgettable test matches in recent memory, I'm joined by Louis Cameron on today's podcast. Hey, Lou. Josh, it's uh, nice to be back with you in person. We haven't done one of these in a while and I know
1: you're being sarcastic when you say that was an unforgettable test match because uh, I don't think it'll take me very long to forget about it.
0: Yeah, well... Unfortunately, there were just it was it was tough work, wasn't it? Watching that five days, it was very long, long strung out. It felt like, and the result was well, well, the no result, I suppose you would say, was um, beyond doubt since pretty much day one. It felt like.
1: Yeah, it was a tough watch, and I mean, fourteen wickets across across what was it? Five days, um, you know, more than three hundred and fifty overs. I think it was. I, I found a, a stat that I think you were across. You tweeted some version of this yesterday that. The 14 wickets to fall was the lowest in a kind of non-rain-affected test. So the, the qualifier I had on that was um, 330 overs, which is about 75 a day. Um, I think the lowest for a, a test that had, had at least that number of overs was 17 okay. across that time. Right. So, I mean, it goes to show. And, and I mean, you can discount a little bit of that, that last day yesterday where... Um, you know, Australia had, for all intents and purposes, you know, not given up, but they weren't bowling their front line quick. Yep. So we're thinking about Karachi and kind of keeping keeping the big boys on ice, I suppose. Um, but, you know, the, the way um, the way Shafiq and, and uh, Imam Al-Haq batted, like they, their concentration didn't waver even throughout all the... Um, I mean, even Uzi got a bowl and they, uh, they kind of, um, you know, stayed on task the whole time.
0: Yeah, you're right. So from the 35th over... Uh, on day five, there Australia didn't bowl their three quicks, which meant it was 42 overs of the likes of Lyon, Green, Marnus, Head, Smith, and then Kawaja, as you said. So he bowled the last over of the match, and it was good to see him maybe get a bowl because we might not ever see that again in Test cricket. You know, there's probably a few things that we can we can take out of it
1: longer term, which um you know that's probably the the extent of what we want to dwell on that test match for, but it really was an anti-climax. And I think probably the, the one bit of um, that was dwelling worth dwelling on was, you know, the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, while, while we should be very grateful to Pakistan for, you know, having Australia for the first time in such a long time and Australia are playing test cricket abroad anywhere for the first time mm. in a long time, the pitch shouldn't escape scrutiny, really. Yep. Because, okay. and, you know, as Australians, you and I, Josh, you know, you... you you got to be careful because you don't want it to be looking like we're complaining about, um, complaining about you know conditions not being in our team's favour. I suppose yeah. when they go overseas, but you only have to look back to 2017-18 during the Ashes when the MCG dished up a pitch that even the Aussies said you know just it was um, it just wasn't good enough mm-hmm. for cricket, and the ICC said it was poor. Um, and you know personally, I think this pitch should be rated as poor as well. Like It's going to turn – I mean, it's not going to turn us away from Test Cricket and it's not going to turn rusted on fans away from Test Cricket, but it's not good for the game, is it?
0: Definitely not. And I think you made the point that it's the same match referee who was um, officiating that Boxing Day test where Alistair Cook made the big double century. He He was also in charge of this one. Is that right? So he'll have to make a call on whether this was a poor rated pitch or maybe something less than that. Is it less than poor? There is one that's worse than poor, and it is the same match referee,
1: Josh uh, Ranjan Mugadali. I'm not 100 percent sure I've got the pronunciation right. Apologies to him. Um, but yeah, there is unfit, which uh, okay, which I don't think you know. It wasn't unfit for test yeah. cricket. It, it was play. It was very playable, for, especially for the <laughs> batters. Um, so he has to make that call. Uh, and if you, I think you get an unfit. Uh, I mean, this is getting down to the weeds, but uh, an unfit pitch gets five demerit points under these new rules that funnily enough came in just after that MCG test. Pure, pure coincidence. Um, I think the ICC had set 2018, you know, January 1 yeah, okay. as, the, as the date to introduce them. But so, you, yeah, you get three demerit points for a average pitch, five for a unfit pitch. So if it's, sorry, not average, poor, I should say, three for, an, for a poor pitch. I think if you get five points over a five-year period, you get banned from Test Cricket. That venue gets banned from hosting Test wow, Cricket okay. for, for a year. So it's a significant penalty. Um,
0: so they would have to do it twice. You'd, you'd have to produce two poor pitches. Um, I guess, is the, is the upshot of that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And we wouldn't like to say that because the crowds in Royal Pindy were fantastic throughout the whole Test match. I think they were saying it was a sellout for the duration, which was great to see. And one of the former locals, Usman Khawaja, was pretty good at the top of the order. Good to see from an Australian point of view, um, him making some runs, um, being David Warner's partner at the top of that order. Yeah, it was. And, I mean, a
1: few question marks around um, how Australia... I mean, it's hard to nitpick when they made 400 and, you know, what was it? 459. 459. And Warner and um, Khawaja batted beautifully. And, And they batted... It wasn't easy. You know, like, I think you see a lot of these... Sorry, it was easy in a <laughs> sense. It was as easy as it's going to come. But the, the pressure of Pakistan having made four for 476 declared in their first innings often sees teams wobble a little bit in, in reply. Mm-hmm. Um, the way they batted, they, you know, they gave Australia somewhat of a chance in the early, early stages of that by batting quickly as well. Um, and then things slowed up a little bit as, as Pakistan probably wised up a little yeah, and I think so um, too. It reined it back in. I mean, they were, they were super aggressive for the, the first probably 250 runs of Australia's first innings, particularly their fast bowlers, um, who I, I can't wait to see on, you know, i say hopefully more um, seam bowling-friendly pitches. I, I don't know if we'll get that in Karachi in Lahore, but uh, Nazim Shah and, and, you know, we know Shaheen Shah is a is a world-class bowler, but, um, you know, Nazim looks like he's not far off taking that, that step as well. Um, with a bit more game time. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the the middle order didn't all capitalise. I mean, Steve Smith um, would have been ruining not making 100. Um, Marnus, the same. Uh, even the two openers, Travis Head kind of um, was out cutting. I reckon we've seen him kind of get out yeah. that way. A he came out times.
0: pretty aggressively, too. I think he was just going to put the foot down regardless of yeah. the situation, which, which made sense. Yeah,
1: and that's how he batted during you know, the ashes and stuff. And, yeah. Um, uh, the, the, I mean, the one, the one. It was a positive and a negative with Cameron Green. I think the way he started his innings, he looked, understandably, a little nervous, like he was, you know, like he was batting in the subcontinent for the first time, which he, which he was in Test match cricket. Um, you know, I reckon a lot of good judges, and I think I heard Simon Caddick saying it on commentary that he could actually, you know, maybe take it on a little bit more and, mm-hmm. and you know, attack the spin like we've seen him do in the in the Shield. But the the positive part about it was that he kind of worked his way through it to the point where, you know, he got in and things got a bit easier and he scored a little bit quicker and then he got out um you know in a really silly fashion and he was he was kind of devastated. So um yeah that's that's a good sign I think going forward. It was almost like I mean, it was almost like
0: the tour game that they didn't have, right? <laughs> and now it's a now it's a two yeah, two series. A good point. Yeah. Um, do we need to read too much into Australia's bowling figures or is it a bit of a write-off? I mean, Lyon took one for 236 for the test match and the Quicks barely bowled in the second innings. So do we read much into those Aussie bowling figures, only four wickets for the entire match and one was a run-out?
1: Good question. Yeah, really good question. Uh, no, I, I want to say Lyon
0: on, yeah. some, on some
1: turning wickets because we've kind of had this conversation with Lyon before around how he bowls in the subcontinent. It was hard in his early days. Um when he was, you know, we know he he's almost obsessed with getting that spin over the back of the ball and up, up the back of the ball, I think he says, which doesn't really work as much in in places like India. Um but, you know, he in I think in Bangladesh, the last time they went to the subcontinent, uh, or the second last time he you know, he took twenty five wickets or yeah, something that's in two right, tests. Yeah. He was really good on that Indian series before that. He was good in the UAE in 2019. So uh, presented with some more turning pitches. And this this wasn't really – it didn't favour any bowlers, this pitch. Yeah. Um, so presented with some more turning conditions in Karachi and Lahore. I think he'll be pretty good. Um, I think, uh, yeah, uh, it's it's an interesting one whether they played the right attack on this surface. I, I mean, Pat Cummins said it in his press conference. I don't think it would have made any difference if they'd picked Sweps and Agar yeah. on this instead of Hazelwood or Stark. Um, I, I thought they bowled quite well, especially on, on day one and two um, to stop Pakistan from scoring super quick. There, there wasn't much much any any team could
0: do. Yeah, not much to work with, for sure. Um, so if we look ahead to Karachi, that test match starts in just a few days, actually. It's Saturday, March 12. Um, and Pat Cummins flagged there might be a test debutante as well. Yeah, that was interesting, wasn't it? That um,
1: he was so bullish about it. He's very... Um, He's very honest, mm. Pat. Uh, that might change, though. <laughs> over time, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wear him down a little bit, you reckon. Um, he's he's pretty upfront. I mean, he didn't, you know, guarantee it and he did kind of have the caveat that they haven't seen the pitch yet, which is completely fair enough. But it, it seems to be that the thinking is that if they play two spinners, Swepson might be the man, which, you know, uh, he clearly is the second best spinner from a domestic mm. point of view of yeah. the record. But, um, you know, Left arm spin has been really successful on turning pitches in the subcontinent, and that's been the method for teams going over there. And um, there just hasn't been much wrist spin anywhere in the world. I mean, Pakistan have one that's been world class in recent years, sitting on the sidelines in Yasir Shah. Um, there, are, there aren't many around the world, no. and Australia haven't played one, a specialist one, since Bryce McGain 13 years ago, um, or even you know Steve Smith uh, about a decade ago when he. Made his debut, so it would be great for Swepson, wouldn't it? Because we've watched him in the Sheffield Shield just dominate, uh, especially last season. Um, And I think everyone just wants to see, you know, a a leg spinner get a crack, especially,
0: you know, with what's happened in the last week. Yeah, definitely. You've got to say that Swepson's earned his spot. He's, um, even if just for being around the team as 12th man for the last 40. Uh, t- 24 months, sorry. Mm. Um, he's re- really done those sorts of Andy Bickle sort of numbers, mixing drinks and stuff, so certainly well deserved, and yeah, great to see a leg spinner back in the national side. Long time coming. I, I think so, and
1: I think the, the reason teams have gone away from not playing leg spin, especially in the subcontinent, has just been the control that you get from, uh, yeah. from finger spinners. Yep. As, a, you know, leggies, you know that they might drop one short, even the best ones drop one short from time to time, and um, or, or bowler fully, where finger spinners can just seem to attack the stumps um, with a lot more regularity. But uh, I think the the one thing a lot of people have observed about Swepson is that um, his, his accuracy at his best is is fantastic, and probably the ability to, to bowl quicker as well. And there, there might be something that um, you know comes through in T Twenty cricket as well, where mm. you know you see spinners like him. Who I mean, he is probably the the most traditional leg spinner we've. We've maybe seen since since Warn in Australia, you know, not comparing him to Warn, but he's got that slow approach, that kind of gather. Um, whereas a lot of the the other leg spinners you see in T Twenty cricket, you you know, Zampers, mm-hmm. you know, Rashid Khan, yeah. um they're they're all different, but they're all guys who even someone like Tanvir Sanger a little bit, they're quite quick. Um, they hit the stumps a lot. Uh, there's not that those slow looping leg breaks. Um, so. Yeah, taking that to a a subcontinent point of view, I I think Swepson does have that gear where he can maybe bowl a bit flatter and maybe hit the stumps a little bit more
0: if conditions dictate um, and and vary his pace a little bit. Yeah, I think it provides nice variety as well, as you said. Um, If it is Swepson, they've got a leg spinner and an off spinner, but if it's maybe they do go down that left arm route and they do have Ashton Agar on the tour, is that a chance or... Are you gathering from what Cummins has said that it will be Swepson or they'll stick with the Quicks?
1: Yeah, my read was that that seemed to be what Cummins was suggesting that if they picked uh, two, it would be Lyon and, and Swepson. I mean, thinking about, I mean, Agar's batting is kind of the X factor in it, but, you know, with, I mean, the way Stark batted during the Ashes, um, mm. and even in this test, he, I thought he batted quite well. What did he, he didn't make heaps of runs, but he looked quite equipped against, um, uh, when their quicks were kind of coming at him and, and things like that. Um, and, you know, that puts Cummins down to nine. That's some pretty solid yeah, solid batting. It's yeah. not like England during that last Ashes series where I think, you know, Wokes almost played that last test because they just needed some, some yes. extra batting down in the lower order. Um, and, and you've also got Cameron Green at six who would kind of facilitate, you know, only playing two quicks. Um, I mean the the only other one is whether this pitch in Karachi is so spin friendly that, um, that it necessitates three clicks, yeah. which, uh, three spinners which would be interesting. The thing I mean, circling back to this strip that they've just played on in Rawalpindi, mm. being careful with you know how this is phrased, but that that pitch was so there has been some kind of element of preparing a pitch that doesn't suit Australia and and you know I'd, I'd be all for that because you know it's your home conditions yes but the the talk had been that um, this is a, a seam friendly uh, pitch normally and yep. the ones a few over apparently had grass on them and looked lovely to bowl okay yep. well seam on so there there must be an element of preparing some pitches that suit the home team again completely of course. completely yep. in favor of that yep. so maybe Pakistan kind of go now. All right, well, we know Australia have struggled on pitches that really spin a lot in the past. Maybe
0: they prepare an absolute bunsen burner for these last two. It's possible. And the stats certainly support that for Royal Pindi. Last test there, Hassan Ali took 10 for. I couldn't see a pace bowler taking 10 wickets on that pitch in 10 days, <laughs> let alone five. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a really good point. So, you know, without wanting to, you know, say
1: that there's been intervention or whatever, it's. Um, that might have been the case, and and at the Unplayable
0: podcast, we are all for it because, um, uh, you know, it's you're the home team. Definitely, got, got, got to take that home ground advantage where you can. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to maybe the one of the more sad stories of, of the week. Mm. Um, speaking of leg spin, Shane Warne, unfortunately passed only twenty four hours after Rod Marsh had passed away as well. Um, there have been lots of great tributes to both of those legends of Australian cricket. Um, we had an Unplayable Podcast special edition a few days ago um, from Warren's 50th birthday that had lots of interviews from Ponting, McGrath, Hussey, Atherton, Hussain, and even Warren himself about some of the great SKW stories. So do listen to that if you haven't already. Um but Lou, what's, do you have a standout Shane Warne memory of your own? I mean, everybody's been sharing theirs. So I'd like to hear yours.
1: Yeah, and I'd like to hear yours too, Josh. But um, I mean, mine, uh, it's very personal with Warney because he all, uh, like just listening to all these stories, it, it's amazing. And even reading some of the ones on Twitter about, uh, I was reading one about um, someone who, you know, wasn't a cricket fan and I think uh, she lived down the road from Warne and um, her cat got run over by a, a news truck when uh, there was some scandal involving Warren. Oh, right. And um, he turned up to her door. He he found out about it and turned up to her door and apologised about her cat being run over. And um, So it just, like, and that person, you know, might not have ever watched a game of cricket in their life, mm. but, you know, he just touched so many people in, in different <laughs> ways. So um, th- that wasn't the story I was going to bring up, but it just kind of, it, it springs to mind as, you know, saying something about this character the one um, the personal one that I had was um, back in a former life. I was net bowling to the Melbourne Stars in one of their first two seasons. Great. Um, Is yeah. there any footage of this? No, I don't think so. I'll um, maybe speak to our video team and, and see if um, see if there's any around. But uh, yeah, net bowling to, um, to to the Stars and Warren was captain of the team mm-hmm. those first two seasons. And I remember after training in the there's a in the changing rooms at the MCG just near the indoor nets. Um, uh, going to pick up my gear. I just you know left my my water bottle and stuff in there and went in there. It was pretty quiet. Um, but there was someone kind of sitting just near the showers, just on like a a plastic chair, and it was warning, and he was he was having a dart um, just in the showers. And the whole the you could tell immediately because when you walked in, the whole place smelt like smoke. And uh, as I was walking, kind of about to walk out, a security guard came in, and he's kind of walked around the corner into the kind of shower area, seen who it was and just walked straight back out. <laughs> and I kind of thought then that, I mean, the only person who would have gotten away with that was Shane Warne. He, he owned the MCG. He could do whatever he liked. And if that meant he was having a dart in
0: the, <laughs> in the shower by himself after a, after a training session, um, that was that. That's um, fantastic. And now he gets his own stand as well at the MCG, the Great Southern Stand being renamed the Shane Warnton or the SKW Stand. I think that's a great move personally. Yeah, I love it. I love it. How about you, Josh? Any standout memories? Not a, a really um, in-person moment, hmm. but it was after the 2005 Ashes and um, obviously he had that amazing series. Um, I was still pretty fresh to cricket at that stage and, um, but Shane's father Keith uh, was actually involved in a in a car club that my grandfather was also mm. involved in, and a car club. Yeah, so to... um, yeah, so something to do with uh, rallying cars right. in like outdoor circuits around dirt tracks. Right. Um, so Keith was big into that. Uh, my grandfather as well, and it just so happened that in conversation, my grandfather said that his grandsons were really interested, like loved cricket, and so. A few weeks later, we got a signed um, picture of Shane himself, you know, to to Josh and Jacob, like all the best with your cricket sort of thing. So wow, um, and you hear those stories a lot about his generosity, and yeah, even yeah. just taking like a minute out of his time is going to make a kid's day. So um, yeah, that's certainly a memory for me that will s- stick in the memory.
1: How nice is that, isn't it? Because this was, um, you know, just about the biggest celebrity in Australia and, and yeah. you know, in in the um, cricket playing world, one of the biggest as well. And just think about the amount of requests he would have had, amount of people coming up to him and asking for, for things and autographs and tributes and wh- whatnot. But you never um, – and you'd forgive him, right, if he kind of said no. Oh, absolutely, can't, can't, yeah. Can't really be bothered on this occasion and, you know, some high-profile people do and you can't blame them. But um, you never, ever hear about that with, uh, with him. It was, um, yeah,
0: amazing person. Yeah. Certainly was. Lots of great video highlights as well on cricket.com.au mm. if you want to relive some of the great warning moments. Um, now let's move on to the Women's World Cup, uh, currently underway in New Zealand. Australia have started pretty well, two wins from their two matches. Uh, first they had to beat England and then they had to beat Pakistan, but they did both of those. Uh, let's just touch on Ash Gardner firstly. She's been out with COVID um, so a bit of a weird one. She's had to go into a 10-day isolation. She'll be out the day before their next match against New Zealand. Um, but just one of the quirks of this World Cup where COVID is always going to be a part of this tournament. And so hopefully it doesn't strike at a dangerous or important moment for the teams. But luckily, Australia have been able to cover for Gardner so far. Well, they've been able to cover for
1: Gardner, who's, a, who's an important player. They, I mean, they covered for Tali McGrath, who was their best player during the recent Ashes series, when they um they just left her out to um to get some game time mm. to the other players uh, for their game against Pakistan. This is an amazing Australian side, and they absolutely should be the favourites. Yep. Um, to win this World Cup, having you know kind of gone close, uh, what was it, 2017? Yeah. Um, the last time they tried, and this is the one bit of silverware that they don't have that they desperately want. Um, and yeah, so they've covered for Gardner, they've covered for McGrath. Um, so, you know, I think, I think they'll be okay. And maybe getting, you know, no one, um, no one wants to get COVID, but getting it at an early point for her. Well, that's um, right. Means that she, you know, she shouldn't miss, um, the the business end of the tournament. She's
0: immune for the final supposedly. Yeah.
1: Although you hear a lot of people kind of getting it, getting it
0: twice. Okay. Yeah,
1: two and three times. Not a foolproof plan then. No, I wouldn't be like, you know, running into nightclubs, you know, um, (laughs) licking on it, You're licking, yeah, licking the dance floor and stuff like that just yet. But, um, you know, and, and the fact that it hasn't spread to the to the wider group as well, you know, because you know they these teams spend a lot of time with each other, and um, you often see if there's one case, there's there's a few others. So that didn't happen, which is good. Um, yeah, they they haven't really been, um, you know, they weren't really tested against Pakistan. There's, no. I, I thought. Um, the way they're two middle-order players in Riaz and, and Marouf, you know, they showed a lot of grit. Good to, recovery, definitely. Yeah, to, to get them to a, a defendable, competitive-ish total. But um, just th- probably the, the way they they weren't really able to rotate the strike um, and, and score quick enough through those middle overs, you know, they were trying their guts out. But, you know, they'd been four for 44, what yeah. was it, in the, in the 13th over. And, you know, Australia's bowlers, they just didn't quite have the – um, didn't quite have it to be able to, to challenge them properly yeah. through that middle overs and, and set a big score. So um, there is a gulf between, you know, the the top really professional teams. And so it was – I guess what I'm saying is it was admirable the way they, the oh, way they got to that total given yep. the gulf in um, training standards and probably what they're getting paid and stuff. So we should always kind of remember that with, with some of these lesser-ranked women's sides, I think, Um so they did well, but you know they weren't really tested um, against them. England probably was a, a bigger test, um, and they'll get it against New Zealand as well
0: um, in this upcoming game. Yeah, that was a good match of cricket, that England game. They only won by 12 runs in Hamilton. Haynes got a 130, Lanning got 86. But I think the most important thing for Australia will be against Pakistan, Alyssa Healy at the top of the order got 72 runs. Meg Lanning said afterwards that her place has never been in doubt and it's always the media who are criticizing her and they had full confidence in her but I just think at the back of their minds they'll be happy that Healy got some runs under her belt because unlike the rest of that top order who have just been churning them out for the last 12 months, Healy has been um, not quite as prolific in that area.
1: Feels familiar doesn't it? People questioning Healy during a, a big World Cup and then her proving the doubters wrong. I mean there were big question marks during that T20 World Cup Two years ago now, um, and she absolutely blitzed them during that uh, during that final. So, no worries there. Um, yeah, New Zealand will be would be a good game. I, I noted the the series op- the tournament opener against the West mm. Indies. They it was a bit of a car crash. How they they lost that game? Like West Indies dropped about five catches and um and should have uh, should have and New Zealand should have um kind of got in the run chase easily, but um but they didn't. And um yeah, so you know we were talking about that golf, and you might. Put the West. I know they won the T Twenty World Cup a few years ago now, but you, you know you'd probably put them in that that second rung of teams yeah, yeah. below it. But you know that it shows that you know they're um, bridging the gap a little bit. They got a couple of top batters in Haley Matthews and Stefani Taylor, um, you know, to to kind of boost that because that, the batting is probably the the hardest one to to bridge the gap on. So. Um,
0: yeah, New Zealand New Zealand will be one of their, one of their bigger threats at, at home for sure. It's going to be a great game. That match is in Wellington. Um, and speaking of leg spinners, which have been a big topic of conversation on this week's edition of the podcast, uh, Amanda Jade Wellington came back in for mm. her first match in Australian colours in four years. I know you're a big fan of Wello. I am. Uh, what did you make of her return to the team? And can we see King and Wellington in this side going forward together? I think you'd never rule anything out with this
1: Aussie team. I mean, they their success has been um, banked on a, a few s- stars throughout the whole thing, but it's also been rejuvenated the whole way through. With, you know, like McGrath's come into the team. Um, Annabelle Sutherland's come in recently, you know, to kind of bolster a team, you know, with that backbone of Lanning, Perry, um, Megan Shute, Rachel Haynes, Healy. Um, so, yeah, absolutely, they could play two-leg spinners. Uh, whether they need to, um, I think King, you know, King really is showing that um, it's amazing depth. I mean, it should be commented on that Georgia yeah, Warren, who's a wonderful um, one day bowler is missing this tournament and they've brought in two, <laughs> two other leg spinners <laughs> yeah. who, um, and the the standard just hasn't really dropped off at all. Um, they've also got Jess Johnson. When uh, Ash Gardner comes back, they'll have the off mm-hmm. spin. So I think, Probably where they're going is getting to a point where they've got all three bases covered with a left arm offie, a right arm offie, and a right arm leg yep. spinner. They just need to find a left arm wrist spinner and then complete the um, <laughs> the full set. Yeah, the full set, the royal flush. The, exactly. Um, you'd, you'd say King on the evidence of um, you know recent um, you know recent games, the Ashes. Yeah, uh, that King's probably still ahead, but um, you know I. I th- I thought that um, you know I'm a huge Amanda Jade Wellington fan. I thought she could have played that Test match um, during the Ashes. Mm-hmm. You know King King did a, did a great job there too. But I thought Wellington just maybe spins the ball a little bit more and um, it re- really offers something that um, you know wicket taking difference in in maybe the longer form of the game that could be applicable to to one day cricket as well. But you know it's very hard to to say King isn't deserving of a spot too. So.
0: Yeah, that'll be an interesting little side plot if the two of them continue to play. Definitely. Well, keep them both in, I say. Now, the last thing that we wanted to touch on is the Marsh Cup final, which is coming up on Friday, um, believe it or not. Um, Only six games for each team in this year's edition uh, due to COVID and all the restrictions and border closures and things. So it means that it will be Western Australia against New South Wales in the final in St Kilda in Melbourne. Um, on Friday. So a very interesting uh, day we saw yesterday in the Marsh Cup, actually, because New South Wales qualified even though they've had four no results from their six matches. This has been a really bizarre, disjointed Marsh Cup season, even more
1: than the normal. I know that one day <laughs> the place of the competition has been uh, strange in recent times. But if you just look at the ladder, if you go to cricket.com.au and go to the series page, um, so New South Wales, as you've said, WA have won twice the number of games as New South Wales, mm-hmm. uh, but only finished one point ahead <laughs> of New South Wales. The Blues haven't played a completed game since November. So Wow, that's a great start. Yeah, so their last four games uh, have been washed out and <laughs> they also had a rain-affected win over South Australia on the Duckworth-Lewis system. Oh, yes. I think that was about 24, 25 overs each. Uh, And then they walloped Victoria for that game back in uh, back in November. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, So they haven't played. uh, There's no continuity at all. Um, And you know, you'd be you'd feel a little bit stiff if you were Tassie in Queensland, particularly Tassie, who finished on the same number of points as New South Wales, who won an extra game. But these the three extra. I'm struggling to even calculate it, but they finished on the same number of points as, as Tasmania because of all the no results. Yeah. and finished with a huge net run rate, mainly due to that massive win they had over Victoria in November. Um, if, uh, a funny other side plot was if WA finished top uh, because they got a bonus point win over Victoria uh, yesterday, there was a, if they didn't win with a bonus point, if they just won, say, maybe in a, in a tight one, They could have finished on the – double the amount of wins as New South Wales and not even made the final. (laughs) It could have been Tassie, New South Wales. It's quite incredible. Yeah, because their net run right now is only a little ahead of – yeah, it's not that far ahead of Tasmania. So it's just bizarre. It's just bizarre. Um, But, you know, we've ended up with two really strong teams. The same two teams that played in the Marsh Cup final last year. Yeah probably the two leading producers of limited overs talent in mm-hmm. Australia, you'd say, New South Wales and, and WA. So um, there's some gun
0: players who are going to play. Definitely, yeah. yep. Uh, for example, Josh Phillippe, Darcy Short, Sean Marsh, Jai Richardson, Jason Berendorf will be there for WA. Maybe Marcus Stoinis or is he, is he available for selection, do we know? I have no idea.
1: I presume not. Okay. I presume not because he's probably spending some time at home Having not been able to get
0: back into Perth for such a long time, that makes sense. Um, um, but we'll ni- have to monitor that one. That could be that could a be bit an of interesting a wild one. Wild yeah. card, yeah. yeah. For New South Wales, obviously, Henriques will be there. Daniel Sam's, Adam Zampa, and Tanveer Sanger. So maybe two leggies for New South Wales. That could be exciting. Mm. And Curtis Patterson will be the captain. So plenty of talent on show. If you do want to tune into that final on Friday, Lou. This is a question without notice to round up the show. Do you have a highlight from this year's Marsh Cup? I do have a highlight,
1: Josh. Uh, one of the stories of the domestic season, Gorinda Sandu, he's been great in his third state now playing yeah, for, for Queensland after New South Wales and Tasmania. He took a uh, – it was the JLT Cup uh, back then, a one day hat-trick against Victoria in the final that they lost uh, a couple of seasons ago. And then he took a second Marsh Cup hat-trick during this season, which which is my highlight. That was against South Australia – um, and, you know, it caps off a, a really great season for him. He also, he then took a third hat-trick during the BBL. <laughs> so he's second in the season um, against the Scorchers, which, uh, you know, which is a, a fair effort. So he just has a knack. He's just a really oh. good 50-over bowler in particular. He's been good in the other formats this season too. But I don't know what it is about him in 50-over cricket. Maybe it's the older reverse swing ball at the end or... Yeah. So yeah, so he's he's that's my highlight.
0: It's um, a good story. We maybe yeah. we should try and get him on the podcast because I'm sure he's a good chat as he, well. It would be a good chat. Yeah, would be a good chat. It would have been um would have been good if his team had made the made the Marsh Cup
1: final. Josh, do you have
0: a highlight from the season? Well I do. Uh yours was Queensland against South Australia. Mine is South Australia against Queensland. Way back in October, Travis Head hit two hundred and thirty at Karen Rolton Oval in a fifty-over match, um, becoming just the second batter in Australia, oh, the first batter, sorry, to hit two double hundreds in Australian domestic List day cricket. So, come on, mate, anyone could make runs with Karen Rolton Oval. <laughs> would you that, rather? Would you rather bat at Roll Pindi or Karen Rolton? Gee, great question. Um, I'd have to say Rolpindi, I reckon after yeah. that, yourself? Uh, depends
1: on I'm facing. A, a lot of people overlooked. People were saying, "Oh, you're my huck." You know, easy centuries. He was facing Stark, Hazelwood, and Cummins. Mm. I don't care. I'm facing them on anything. I'm facing them on (laughs) the Hume Highway, and I'm not getting in the way of it. Like, they're good bowlers. Absolutely. You know, and they're still coming at you from 22 yards away. So uh, maybe Karen Rottenovel, just because I know that I'll be facing domestic bowlers, not. Stark Hazelwood Cummins. Yeah,
0: good call. All right, on that note, I reckon we might leave it there for this week's edition of the Unplayable Podcast. Lou, thanks for joining me again and we'll catch you all next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?